Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. So you all have been asking to hear how other moms and small business owners are navigating the pandemic right now. And so many people in our online Facebook group and in our private conversations in the Wise Women Council have been asking, how are other people doing this? And why aren't people talking about how much this is affecting working parents? I mean, I know why we're not talking about it enough, because nobody who's a working parent has the time to do the work that needs to be done to talk about it. But we're going to try our best. I have been interviewing parents and business owners about what's happening for each of them from absolute catastrophes to creative solutions, how this pandemic is playing out across the country and across various industries is nuanced and different depending on your family, your location, your business, your clients, and more. I have heard from people who have experienced a huge boom in business, and they are trying to hire as quickly as possible. I've heard from people that feel like they are drowning without childcare, and they are suffering and struggling. I've heard from people who have been stunned by layoffs or by disease and sickness, people who are devastated and scrambling to make things work. Just like our conversations around motherhood and parenting, there is no right way and there is no one way to be during a pandemic. There is not a dominant experience that we all are going to have throughout all of this. We are all experiencing parenting and we are experiencing the pandemic and we are experiencing the shutdown orders or the shelter in place orders. But what happens for us each individually is variable. And it's important to tell lots of stories so that we can see all the different ways that this is happening. So I'll be sharing a couple of episodes here on the podcast called A Day in the Life. And it's all about talking to people about how they are navigating work and this pandemic. First up today, we have Caitlin Boland Arab. Caitlin and her husband are both attorneys and they own their own law firm in Great Falls, Montana. They've got two kids and a third on the way. And you can probably hear my own kid in the background because I'm recording this and he's devastated to be getting a diaper change right now. In her words, she said, The first couple of weeks of the pandemic were a train wreck because the courts were open while the daycares were closed. After a couple of weeks of madness, they started to get things to be and feel more manageable, in part because they hired a new employee at their firm to help manage the caseload. I'll be right back. We're back. It was my child screaming. He did not want to have his diaper changed. He revolts against it. And the older child is trying to learn how to whistle, but his whistling is just screaming. So if you hear any screaming from the older child, it sounds like, "Ah!" he's trying to whistle. A day in the life. And the day in the life over here in New York City is also one of these many, many stories of what's happening to working parents everywhere during the pandemic. So Kaylin and her husband, they're both attorneys, and they've got two kids, they've got a third on the way. And the first couple of weeks of the pandemic were absolutely mad because the courts were still open, but they had children at home, daycares were closed. But then they hired a new employee at their firm to help manage the caseload, and that started to make things so much more manageable. 
In their work as attorneys, they are passionately devoted to helping clients who can't otherwise afford attorneys. They are a resource that serves a population that has no money and helps to promote and defend our civic institutions and the rights of all humans to have great defense attorneys in our legal system. As we'll hear, some of this work that she does, it's complicated by the pandemic because you can't just take people and cite them and put them in jail and then say, we're not going to have courts in session until the pandemic is over because that's a violation of our rights in the society that we live in. You have the right to a fast trial and an expedient process and not to be randomly held in the court system or in jail until we decide that we can get back to you. So anyways, listen in. We're going to hear how the global pandemic is disrupting and shifting her work and what they have done to mitigate and manage it all the while. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Baby sleep can be so hard. This episode is brought to you by Nanit, the company that created a smart baby monitor. Not just to see your kid on camera, but also to know that they are sleeping well and they are safe. The Nanit Plus Smart Baby Monitor tracks your baby's breathing, and they have special sleepwear so that you can see that they are safe and know they are breathing throughout the night. If you've ever been stressed out overnight or worried about your baby sleeping, this can put your mind at ease. This is a baby monitor that can help you adjust to your new sleep life once you bring that kid home with you. They also provide sleep coaching, training, and a baby monitor all in one. Visit nanit.com today to learn more about this amazing baby monitor, why people are raving about it, and how it can help you and your little one have a better night's rest. Also, startup pregnant listeners can use the code STARTUP at nanit.com to save 10%. Hey, everyone. I am so excited to have another guest here today who is going to join me and talk about all of the things that we are doing as parents to scramble and get together and figure out this madness that is working from home and childcare and managing a business in the height of a pandemic. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sarah. So I want to ask you to start, can you give us a sense of what you do for work and what your work life was like pre-pandemic? Sure. My husband and I own our own law firm. We practice about 50% criminal defense and 50% civil litigation on the plaintiff side. And the way I always explain it is we represent the little guy, either in the civil context or the criminal context. And before the pandemic, we have an office here in town. We have one paralegal And we had our boys in full-time daycare because my husband and I had multiple court hearings throughout the day and sometimes trials. And it just was not possible to do our work without full-time eight to five childcare. So that's what it looked like in March. (laughs) Where in the country are you located? We're in Great Falls, Montana. And eight to five, five days a week for daycare. That's right. Yep. How old is your kiddo? We have a two and a half year old son and a one year old son. Oh yeah. Two kiddos. Okay. Do they go to the same daycare? Yep. (laughs) And then tell me about how big is the law practice that you have? Like how many people in total are you? 
That answer changed in part because of the pandemic. It was just me and my husband, Sam, are the attorneys. And then we had Viv, our paralegal, before the pandemic. And then we have since hired a second legal assistant. So it's a really small shop, just the four of us. How long have you been practicing? Like, how long have you been in this career? I've been an attorney since 2015. And I mean, that's when we passed the bar and got licensed. And we opened our law firm the same week our son was born in August of 2017. So I clerked for a couple of years in between. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What was that like to open your law firm? (laughs) Yeah, that was really something. I mean, everybody we talked to told us, you are insane to have a baby and start a business the same week. And we moved too. We moved towns all in the same week. I think the best I can say for that time is that I lived and I've since had a higher bar. (laughs) I'd like to clear more than just surviving. It was just incredible. And I will always be able to date our business to <laughs> the week that we became parents. It's always easy to tell how long I've been doing both. Can you go into a little more detail on that? Did you work four hours a day? Did you work one hour a day? What was that like more specifically? Did you take any sort of reprieve after having a baby? What was the birth like? Can you give some of those details? Sure. The birth went really well and I had very little complications or postpartum problems other than standard childbirth recovery, but it was hard to learn how to breastfeed. And I had no idea that the hormones that were going to come with postpartum and just the ups and downs and, oh my gosh, the anxiety of being a new parent. And that was coupled with the fact that not only were we starting a new business, but we were starting in a career that we had never done before. I mean, law clerking is not the same thing as being a practicing attorney. And we wanted to have our own firm in part because we wanted kids and we wanted them on our own timeline. And I didn't want to ask for maternity leave. I didn't want to try to develop a schedule with an employer. I wanted to be the one that made those decisions. So the choice to open a business was very much related to wanting to be a parent. And the way it worked for the first couple of months was I just never knew when I could sleep. I mean, our first son was pretty fussy baby and wanted to nurse all the time. And it turned out I just wasn't able to be in court. And with criminal defense cases, you're in court basically every day if you have a busy practice. And so the way we did it was my husband and I appeared as co-counsel on every case that we took. And then... I would be home doing all the research and the brief writing for us. And he would do all the in-person client meetings and all the court appearances and anything where you had to like be showered and dressed and out the door. Mm -hmm. And that worked for a while, but it meant that I was, instead of sleeping when the baby slept, I was writing briefs and it got completely unsustainable in terms of my mental health. The practice took off. We've sort of exploded in how many cases we got and how much experience we got. And it got to the point where I was just going insane from sleep deprivation. And I made it nine months before I put our oldest in daycare. And it, yeah, I think the biggest hurdle for me was accepting the fact that I wasn't a failure if I needed full-time childcare. My mom stayed home with us until we were much older and I loved my childhood and I thought I wanted to give that to my son and it felt like a huge failure to say I can't do both. And I had to keep reminding myself that my mom was not a practicing attorney when she was raising me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Once I accepted that this was the right choice for me and my family, we are now like the biggest proponents of 
full-time daycare, I love being able to work full-time and have my boys in a really good spot. And what now, was the turning point for you? Like, feels like there's a bit of a crisis of sorts. What did it for you? I totally remember it as a crisis. I just had a total breakdown. I was surrounded by briefs and printouts of case law at my table. And I was nursing the baby and crying. And my husband walked in and was like, okay, something has to change. So we had this whole conversation. And he finally made me realize at that moment that the person that was making it not okay for me to be a working mom was me. And I was just able to let that go right there. And we enrolled in like two weeks later in daycare. Daycare is amazing. Better. (laughs) So many people actually say this too. It's really interesting to watch the expectations that we have and the way we think about childcare. Can I ask you, not trying to throw your partner under the bus at all, but can I ask you about the dynamic between the two of you? Like who was doing more of the childcare? What did that look like? I know you were splitting work in different ways because he was out and about doing client meetings, but did you feel like there was an equitable taking care of the baby? This is also kind of a trick question because it's never really equal, I think, in the beginning. So forgive me for asking this in a strange way, but whatever you feel comfortable talking about, I'm so curious. Yeah, that's my experience is that if you are breastfeeding, it is not equitable, period. (laughs) And we decided that if Sam was going to be the one who was going to be out in the world and representing our clients in court. He needed to be on mentally. And so he didn't take turns in the night. He got some sleep and that's just how it worked for us. And I think it was the right decision for us because of the work we do, but it definitely didn't feel equitable. And we both recognized that in terms of childcare, it was not equitable. Right. Um, It's so interesting to watch because the biological demands are so different. And then it also depends on the type of work that we do, each person, because even though you are sharing a law firm, people listening, you can see that one person took on one type of work and the other person took on another type of work. So these partnership questions are always so fascinating to me because sometimes around the nine month or the 12 month mark, there's sometimes a shift where because you've been doing it that way, it kind of perpetuates. And then you wake up three or four years later and you're like, wait, how did I end up here? What were the series of decisions? But I want to shift gears a tiny bit and ask you, because you have a second kid who is a year and a half later, right? You ended up having another kid and you have another one on the way. Is that correct? Yes. We're going to have 18 months spacing between all three of our kids. So (laughs) we're stacking them tight. (laughs) Your body has been hard at work. So did anything change once you got your kid into daycare? Like how did you then shift your work and the design of your work and your lives? The biggest thing that changed as soon as I got our oldest in full-time daycare was I got to take my own caseload where Sam was not co-counsel with me. And that meant what I was still pumping for daycare. And so that became a huge frustration because a lot of the way the criminal calendars work is you have a hearing set for like one or one 30, but it's not just your hearing, you know, there's 40 cases set for that time. And you never know if you're going to be first or 50th. And so I would bring my pump equipment with me to the courthouse in case I was 50th on the list And I'd run around looking for some kind clerk who had a refrigerator in her office. It just was a nightmare. But it did enable me to go out and get the courtroom experience that I didn't really get to have the first couple months. That was really important to me because even though my husband and I will never be equitable in terms of the early months of childcare, 
it's really important to me that we're equal in our professional development and our professional capacity. So about three months after I got Eamon, our oldest son, into daycare, I got to take my first federal jury trial. I mean, all the way to trial. And that was such a professional milestone to be able to do that. And once I was able to achieve that or to like jump through that first hoop of my first jury trial, it felt like I now had the professional credibility that Sam had gotten to have about a year earlier. And it's been really nice to be able to keep pace with him that way. And it kind of reverted a little bit after we had our second, because I had our toddler in daycare at the time, but for three months I had the baby with me at the office. And so I had Sam appearing for me in court again a lot. And so I think that's what we'll do the third time too. I think we take these three or four month breaks where I can't reliably be in a given place at a given time. But it's amazing to be in a law firm with your husband because he can appear for you on anything. He knows the cases, he knows the clients. And I brief him before on what the legal issues are going to be. I think it's the only reason that this system works is that we're married and law partners. I'm okay with taking the three or four month break from the courtroom each time I have a baby. Mm -hmm. I mean, that makes so much sense because there is that demand. Like it's really hard to breastfeed 12 hours a day and also do a 12 hour day job for people listening. That's quite difficult, but they don't drink as much later on. Right. And they get a little bit older, but in those first few months, you're like, why am I feeding all day? Oh, I am feeding all day. Yeah. Which is also not something I fully understood when I was younger, pre-kids. And now I'm like, oh, I totally understand why it can be so advantageous to not breastfeed for people who want to have different choices in their careers. Yeah. Yeah. If you have women that are in the military or something that can't be next to a pump or next to a baby, there's all kinds of reasons why. Yeah. So then 2020 descended upon all of us and the coronavirus pandemic hit the United States. And when did things start to shut down for you in Montana? I was just looking at the calendar to try to remember. The week of St. Patrick's Day, so March 16, was when the schools closed and we knew that the shelter in place order was coming. I think March 16 was when it all shut down here. And you emailed me and you said the first couple of weeks of the pandemic were a train wreck because the courts were open while the daycares were closed. Can you tell me all about this? What was happening? Yeah. So one of the most challenging things about being in not just the legal industry right now, but litigation in particular, as opposed to people that draft wills or something and don't have to go to court all the time is that there's the constitution at work and criminal defendants have a constitutional right to a speedy trial. And that means different things in the federal system or in different states, but there are hundreds, thousands of criminal defendants who are awaiting their cases, often incarcerated pre-trial, waiting for their trial dates. And so the courts cannot close But they also are having enormous difficulties pulling jury pools because when the juror gets the summons, they call the clerk and say, are you nuts? I can't come down and be with 120 people today. (laughs) Right. I'm not going to do it. And so the courts were faced with this burden of choosing between the rights of a criminal defendant and the sensibilities of the jurors who didn't want to show up for jury duty. So their solution, at least in Montana, has been Zoom and Skype and some other app I'm forgetting. But we have one judge in town who just took it upon herself to figure out how our court system is going to respond to this. 
And she did an amazing job and set up Zoom licenses for a lot of the attorneys in town and for the courts. And for the first couple of weeks, our prosecutor's office would send you a calendar invite and you would join it. And we would do these three or four way Zoom meetings for court appearances. But it quickly became obvious that this certainly wouldn't work for a trial because you can't have the jurors all on separate Zoom <laughs> And it wouldn't even work well for contested hearings where you have a witness and you're trying to cross-examine them with various exhibits by Zoom. Like, that's not possible either. And then we had the additional problem that most of our criminal defense clients are indigent and they don't have phones and certainly not computers or wireless internet. So the clients couldn't meaningfully partake in these hearings. So it took the court a while to figure out that they needed to just postpone anything that was going to be remotely contested. But the first couple of weeks, it was just a train wreck for everybody because we had to work out all these kinks. And what happened? Did your kids get sent home to during all of this? Yeah, I guess for the first two or three weeks in March, we shut the office and we had our paralegal there, but she was there alone. And we would attend court in our basement <laughs> with the other one upstairs trying to keep the kids quiet. And that, oh my God, we had a couple break-ins of toddlers appearing behind Sam on his hearing. <laughs> yeah, that did not go well. So after the first two weeks in March, we would take turns at the office and I would take the morning shift down there from like eight to 12. And then Sam would get down there for the afternoon. And that wasn't as reliable as we'd hoped because we don't often get to choose the time of our court appearances. And even if my preference was to be down at the office night to noon, I might have a hearing set for two. Yeah, we did a lot of driving back and forth, switching <laughs> one with the other. Take me through a typical day. And I know there's nothing typical about any of these days, but what time do you wake up in the morning and what do you do with the boys? And can you walk us through all the specifics? Sure. Well, this week and last week look different because we have finally broken down and called on my mom to help. But before she was helping us, the boys usually wake up about six and I would just wrangle them and feed them until 730 or so. And Sam and I would take turns showering. And usually I would go down to the office first and our paralegal, bless her, <laughs> would know that Anything that was in her control to schedule, she should schedule for me in the mornings and Sam in the afternoons. And so I'd go down and get a bunch of client calls taken care of and any hearings I could that I could set in the morning. And then I would come home and Sam would go down to the office at noon. And noon is usually nap time for the boys. So I would put them down for their nap and I would get another 90 minutes or so to work on some writing projects, whatever brief I had due. I could do that from home pretty easily. And then I was just doing kid stuff from 1.30 or so until Sam came home at five. And we'd give him dinner and bath time and put him down by about seven. And then Sam and I would both work on writing projects until 10 or so and start all over the next day. <laughs> I'm astonished. I don't even know how you have a brain to go that late. It's so challenging yeah. sometimes through this. So there's a number of decisions you made here that I think are really interesting. I have so many questions for you. I think where I'll start 
is actually asking, did your daycare close officially? And were you considered an essential worker because you're helping defend public? Where is that? Do you know what I'm asking here? Yep, I do. Okay. Uh, The daycares closed of their own accord as soon as the governor closed the schools. And I'm not sure if every private daycare closed, but ours did. Got it. Okay. Yep. And so we've had them home as long as schools are closed. And we've now heard that our schools are not reopening for the year. Okay. I don't have any word yet about whether our daycare is or not. We still don't know. That's so interesting because it's different. This is one of the challenges too, is it's not universal for everyone. It's different on a case-by-case, even like a daycare by daycare basis. Absolutely. And we are considered essential workers. Okay. They're our governor's directive, but because we're not first responders or in the healthcare system, there aren't some of those emergency childcare centers that have popped up to care for essential workers. We aren't eligible for any of those because they define essential workers differently than the governor did. They say, you know, healthcare workers. and, And I totally get that. Well, no, it's so interesting because had you asked me, a regular citizen, is an attorney an essential worker, I would have been like, no. But then the way you talked about your work at the beginning of this interview, when you said you are doing the work of public defenders and these are people who have the right to a speedy jury, it's like, oh my gosh, of course this is essential. It's so interesting to see when you know more about something, you start to see how complex and nuanced it is. Yeah, and that's probably true for a lot of professions. Right. That's so interesting. Okay. And there's more here because you did two things. You ended up hiring a paralegal. And then you also mentioned that you're having your mom come as of the last week. Do you know what prompted you to make those decisions? Did you have more information about, oh, this is going to go on for a long time or we're in crisis, something needs to change? Walk us through those two pieces. Yeah. The situation with my mom was kind of funny because she actually in February flew to the UK to be with my sister who was due with her second baby. And so my mom got to be there for the birth and was supposed to stay for a month to help her get used to having two kids at home. And then the coronavirus hit and (laughs) she saw the writing on the wall and booked a ticket earlier and actually made it back to the U.S. the day before they started rerouting all those flights to like six or eight airports. And they had those awful photos from TSA like screening lines. Yeah. Oh. Barely made it home. And then wanted to quarantine herself after that for a while. And so that was the reason she wasn't immediately available to help us. And she's also in her 60s and is vulnerable population. So we didn't want to expose her to us and whoever we've been exposed to if we didn't have to. But then once she came out of quarantine without symptoms, and once we had figured out how to handle the office in terms of not exposing ourselves to anybody in the courthouse, we all felt comfortable having her watch the boys. So she watches the boys eight to noon, Monday to Friday now which thank God for grandmas. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then you have your paralegal who can help with some of the workload I'm imagining. Yeah. So then the other piece of this was we are really lucky in that our work, it's affected externally by the coronavirus, but the work volume isn't affected. People still commit crimes and (laughs) on the civil (laughs) side, they still get ripped off by banks and insurance companies. So We have pretty good job security in that respect. Once we decided in mid-April that this pandemic was here to stay for a long time, we decided that our staying up till 10 o'clock at night doing legal work was just not sustainable in terms of mental health and (laughs) physical strength. 
Yeah. Never mind you have a baby due. Yeah. When's your due month? He's due in October. Okay. Yeah. I'm about halfway. Oh. Yeah. And so we started making a list of the ways that we could get help for ourselves. And it didn't seem like a nanny or full-time childcare was an option. And so the only other way to get help was to get help at the firm. Mm -hmm. This is so interesting. We're having lots of conversations about this in the Wise Women's Council, the group of women that we're organizing and also in our Facebook group for Startup Pregnant. And everywhere I'm hearing parents say, this is not sustainable. And then as we start to wrap our heads around the fact that this is also pretty long-term, we don't know if it's three more months, six more months, or several years, but all of those are long-term enough that people are starting to say, "Mm, my coping strategies for doing this for a month or two are different than the strategies I would do if this were six to eight months or longer. So do you feel like your life has shifted towards a more manageable set up? Where are the friction points now? Are you still kind of cobbling? I mean, I feel like we're all cobbling it together. So this is not necessarily a (laughs) great question, but what do you feel like now with the new setup that you have? I think we're at a manageable point for like a midterm solution. We definitely had to change something from our March and early April procedures. And our current situation would not be sustainable beyond a couple more months, I think. Mm -hmm. But for now, it seems to be working to have me be reliably at the office eight to noon. And then I get to come home for nap time and I can work for another 90 minutes or so. (laughs) Like right now, for example. Like right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually finding that I can get the work done from eight to one thirty that it used to take me eight to five to do. And that's in part because I don't have to go to court and wait around for my case to be called. And some of that has changed enough that I actually find myself with a couple more hours in the day than I used to have. So the the 8 to 1.30 is enough to get all my work done. The big change I think that's helping us is that new legal assistant. She's there 8 to 5 and can answer the phones and forward them to me even if I'm home with the boys. So having help at the firm has helped a lot. That's so interesting because, and I think it really depends, of course, what industry you're in and your job security and stability, but depending on what's going on, childcare might not be available, but hiring might be something that is a possibility or a potential. We are actually getting back on track with doing that at Startup Pregnant. I had put out a call to hire an administrative assistant and a community and content manager in, I think I put the ad up in early February and then the application deadline was end of February. So over the next two weeks, everything in New York City started crumbling and falling apart. (laughs) I was like, well, we're just going to wait for a couple of weeks before we actually hire someone. But we are going to go back and look at hiring people because I don't have more than three or four hours a day to get work done. And there's more than that to do every day. And we have, I think, barely enough budget to do it. But it makes me nervous with the long-term projections. I don't imagine that you're in that case, though. I feel like, were you going to hire somebody? And tell me you know, if I'm making assumptions here. But it seems like you're pretty sound and you're able to hire. And that's pretty cool. Well, it sounds like we had really similar concerns here. And I can reassure you that hiring was a great solution in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, we had the same concern when we hired our first staff member. I value her so much as a person, but as a business expense, it comes down to, can you save us more time than you cost us in terms of salary? 
And with her, with the first hire, that was easily true because she's a paralegal as opposed to a legal assistant. So she can do a couple more higher level legal tasks, not just secretarial work. And then the issue with the legal assistant was um, same question. I am not sure that a two lawyer law office can generate enough revenue to sustain two additional salaries. But my husband made the point that a, we won't know until we try and we can afford to try. Oh, uh, I love that. Yeah. I thought that was a compelling argument. And his, <laughs> his other point was, if we presume that this pandemic is going to be around for another six months to a year, at least, our choices are say no to additional work because we can't handle it or hire somebody and hope they help us handle it. Yeah. And that's the risk we took. And so far, we have not had to turn down new cases. Oh, and that's, that's so like, bad. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to be said for considering hiring help at your work, even if you don't have childcare. It seems to be working out. I also think, and this is me talking process out loud, but one of the things I think for people listening, I've been thinking about the moral question of hiring people. If I can hire people, am I, I don't want to say morally obligated, but isn't that a way to do good in the world when the economy is crumbling? Creating jobs can help people right now. Yes. So, we have the same conversation. Oh, that's so cool to hear. Because, you know, how much risk are we willing to tolerate as a family when we don't know what's going to happen in the next two to four years? But also, I mean, on the other side of things, how much risk are we risking as a business if we're not investing in the growth of the business and the stability of the business? So these are the kinds of questions that they don't necessarily keep me up at night because I'm pretty dang tired. But if I weren't so tired, they would keep me up at night. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and if you don't work in the healthcare industry, I think one way of contributing to your community is to keep a viable business afloat and all the ripple effects that has in your community. There's a lot to be said for that. Totally. A friend of mine, her business is booming right now. And she was talking about how she wanted to hire 25 people by the end of the year. And she was actually bemoaning, she listens to this podcast, so you'll know who I'm talking about. But she was bemoaning how like, it's not enough. I want to hire more people. And I said, but think about all the people that they can hire because you hired them. Think about the network effects of it. You know, when you hire a woman or a mom or a parent, like, and then they can hire a nanny or maybe not a nanny right now, you know, maybe not a house cleaner right now, but they can hire someone else. It's a pretty cool ripple effect when we can hire people. It really is. And especially in our social system where health insurance depends on employment and it really does the world a good to be hiring if you can. The other thing that you said that I want to kind of elucidate for people is what works for the next three months and if this is going to happen for six or eight months. So if you're listening and you feel stuck in a quandary like this, something that has helped me is to dial up and down the scale. If this is just for a month, what decision would I make? But if this is for the next 10 years, would I make a different decision? And just to play around with those things, because while we don't have all the information, sometimes changing those dials for me has changed what I've decided to do. Like if I imagine that this is going to be happening for four more years, I am definitely not going to be able to stay up late at night. Like you were just saying, Caitlin, and try to just squeak it all out. I will burn myself out within three to five months. So that's been really helpful for me. And I'm glad you brought that up. That's exactly how I imagine it. If I dial it up, what parts are sustainable and what aren't. And yeah, I think if I project in the future, I'm going to have to start seriously considering hiring a nanny and maybe daycare is not an option anymore. Maybe I need a nanny so I can work full time. 
especially if the courts start holding jury trials again. I'm done with the eight to noon business. <laughs> I never missed work so much. Oh, that was one more question I had for you. Are you working on the weekends as well? What does that look like? Yeah, we have to. We usually just take a couple hours and go downstairs in the office or go down to the firm one at a time and do some quiet work. No weekends anymore. Nope. (laughs) I mean, there aren't really with children. This is something I tell people too. I'm like, you know, you have a weekend from your job. As a parent, you don't have a weekend. Weekends. (laughs) Parent weekends. (laughs) You don't get a weekend anymore, but now even more so. It really is they were just strangers passing in the night, my husband and I, because we're like, hey, hey, okay, your turn to work. Bye, bye. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> quality of the diaper, status of the fridge, how many hours of iPads our children have had. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Caitlin, this is awesome. Thank you for sharing the look into your life. And is there anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to say? Boy, I don't think so. You covered okay. everything, Sarah. You know, I can't remember the beginning of a conversation to the end nowadays, but I try my best. <laughs> It's really hard. Where can people find out about you? Do you have any social media presences? I don't want to ask you if you have any fun side hobbies because that seems like everyone can laugh listening. No one has any fun side hobbies. Cleaning diapers. (laughs) Right? (laughs) No, I don't have social media. I have an abiding personal loathing for social media that we don't have to get into. But we have a firm website that talks about the kind of work we do for anybody that is interested in legal help in Montana. (laughs) <laughs> What's the name of your practice, by the way? BolandArab.com is the website. And our law firm is just Boland Arab. And that's Arab with two A's, right? Yep. A-A-R-A-B. Cool. Well, thank you for reaching out and sending me a note because you heard the episode, right? That's how you got in touch? Yep, it is. And I really, really appreciate the work that you're doing to help moms and small business owners feel a sense of community in otherwise very isolating circumstances. Oh my goodness. I feel like a deep sense of pain because there's so much more I want to be doing. And I feel like my hands are tied as we all probably do. We have so much we need to do to help each other. And like I'm drowning in diapers trying to get to my computer just to make a podcast. But thank you. And for people listening, if you want to share your story on this podcast, we're doing a short series where we're looking in this day-to-day madness of life in the pandemic and what people are doing just so we can hear from each other and realize, oh yes, this is insane. Caitlin, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Thanks everyone for listening. And if you found this episode useful, valuable, and informative, I have a few more episodes that you might appreciate that talk a little bit more about issues that we brought up today. Go back in time all the way to episode number two for our interview with Annie Dean and looking at how we can design flexible workplaces that make more sense for parents and families. Or if you're fired up, check out episode number 23 with Sarah Lacey of Chairman Mom, where she talks all about overthrowing the patriarchy and why there may be a power or political agenda behind not granting paid leave policies. If you wanna dive into more on the conversation about race, social justice, and getting politics into your business and what that looks like, check out episode 36 with Tepsi. Two more that you might like include planning ahead for maternity leave as an entrepreneur, episode number 65 with Ariana Taboada. And episode number 75, We talk about what it looks like to transition back to work after a career break with Rita Kakati Shah. 
because oftentimes when faced without time or paid leave, you need to plan ahead for your own maternity leave and figure out a way to make it work. That's what Ariana talks about in episode number 65. But sometimes you take a break and it ends up being one or two or three years and you realize, how do I get back into my work life if that's where I am today? Take a listen to episode number 75 if that's you. I will put all of these links into the show notes and you can always find the episode number either by scrolling through your podcast player and looking for the episode number, or you can go to startuppregnant.com and then type backslash 065-075-002, whatever the number is that I just listed, enter the three sequence number onto our website and you can find our episodes. If you want to browse through all the episodes we've done, you can go to startuppregnant.com slash archive and see everything that we've put forward and put out to date. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hey, everyone, just a heads up and a reminder, if you want to listen to our long form Ask Me Anything sessions, they are 30, 45, and sometimes 60 minutes in length, and they we go deep into questions that people have. If you want me to look at your business, you want me to comment on your marketing plan, or you have a question about parenting, pregnancy, or anything in between, we are taking listener questions, and I answer them in a monthly Ask Me Anything fireside chat. It's available only to our Patreon supporters. So if you back us at the $7 a month level, you get access to this private podcast. You can get access to all of the past episodes, which is pretty cool. So if you're missing the podcast while we're on our hiatus and you want to take a listen in to these Ask Me Anything episodes, go over to Patreon and become a monthly backer at the $7 per month level and you'll get access to all of the future episodes, as well as all of the past episodes. Keep in mind that you are also supporting the work of Startup Pregnant and our growth in these early days, and that matters a ton. Every dollar helps and counts, and we appreciate so much and are grateful for your support. Patreon.com slash Startup Pregnant will take you right there. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Did I spell that right? Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Yes. Patreon.com slash Startup Pregnant will take you there. The link will be right here in the show notes. You can go straight there. $7 a month and you get access to this entirely exclusive Patreon-only podcast. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.